you guys. Thank you. Don't you appreciate our musicians, our worship team? They sure make it easy for me to focus in on the Lord. I trust that you don't take for granted the awesome leadership we have around us. Well, grab your Bible and you can put one finger in Romans 9 and maybe another one in 2 Corinthians 10. We'll be in those two passages tonight. But as we bring this series, we've been in the last few weeks, to a close tonight, entitled Authority, God's Covering for My Life. As, as I promised, tried to prepare us, there's pieces of this that sound really good. There's pieces that kind of rub us the wrong way sometimes. But nonetheless, it is all for our benefit. It is all something that God wants to give to us as a gift. By way of review, just to remind yourself, we've had a lot of life in the last seven days, in the last few weeks. Remember that, that all things under the sun, it's either under God's divine authority or it's from satanic rebellion. Either I'm being obedient to the Lord or I'm disobedient to the Lord and that's of the enemy. And we see in these two choices that the Lord calls us to respond to His authority, His direct authority, and His delegated authority. And this covering He gives to us, it's like a quilt, it's like a blanket that we wrap ourselves up in. It's protection and, and we see that when we trust in Him and His direct authority and His delegated authority and, and the other arm we obey what it is He calls us to do, it is a protection for us. Remember, the only one who we give blind, unquestioned obedience to is the Lord. Unqualified obedience is only to the Lord, but in, in His delegated authority, while there is qualifications, there's a filter we run through, our submission is always constant to that delegated authority. I can even... Do what God calls me to do, maybe even in rejection of what that delegated authority wants, but my attitude of submission respects the position, even if I cannot respect the person. This is a covering for me. It's a covering for you. It is a gift for us to understand how God has set up this world and the blessings He has for us. Tonight, we've already talked about, uh, last week, about the authority in the body of Christ and in that perfect place for us to understand is Jesus being the head, you and I in the body of believers being the, the body. This is the best picture of what we can see authority working in a healthy way. But inevitably there will be moments, there will be times in our life or in the life of people that we love around us when there is rebellion. There is just that blatant resistance to what it is that God wants. How do we handle, how do we deal practically with rebellion? God will teach us sooner or later whether we learn from His Word, whether we learn from the gentle leading of the Holy Spirit, or we learn from the school of hard knocks. He will teach us authority. Every one of us is born with a rebellious streak in our hearts and, and we chafe against authority. That's the natural bent of our hearts. That rebellion, it works its way out into our lives in a variety of ways. Some live out their lives in outspoken rebellion like the prodigal son. Others, like the older brother, it's not the outward, but it's the 
inward harboring of this disobedience or this rebellion. It's either sins of actions or it's sins of attitude that ooze out of us, but all of them, they are bold-faced rebellion to the Lord. No matter how pious we act, the fact is that we can struggle with a rebellious bent in our heart. It's part of our fallen nature. But the good news, there is a cure available to you and to I. We talked about it this morning. It's wrapped up in, in all the things that Jesus claimed about himself, of being the way, the truth, and the life. This one cure in him, it's sufficient to destroy this rebellion in every human heart. Jesus Christ died not only to forgive you, to forgive me of our guilt we've incurred through our acts of rebellion. He's also died, his blood was shed to cleanse our heart from the source of that rebellion. We can live in victory over that. There can be freedom from that rebellious heart. It's not just, well, this side of eternity, I'm just going to sin and willful disobedience and word, thought, and deed every single day. I can have freedom, not in my own, not by pulling myself up by my bootstraps, but by allowing the Lord to do a miraculous work in my heart. See, it all comes down to where our heart is. We even talked about that a little bit last week and the week before. And, and we're going to look beyond our heart and see where our thoughts and where our feelings take us. In this series, Authority, God's Covering for Our Life, we learned that this first step under living under God's direct and delegated authority is found in when we surrender our will to His will. And when we do this every single day, that is the step to freedom from this. And so breaking free from a rebellious heart, we have to make sure we check where is my desire, my will, my wants compared to what God wants. So if, if one has not taken that step already, they shouldn't delay because it's living as if they have no covering, no insurance on their life, no protection in their life. It is going to be their worst enemy, their own choice to be out from underneath God's authority. Rebellion begins in the heart. It's the seat of our affections, but quickly it moves to our mind and works our way out to our actions in every place of our life. Today I want us to look at the rebellious seed in our thoughts. If we're going to deal practically with rebellion, we talked, uh, I think, the last two or three weeks on Sunday mornings about where our mind is, and we can have the mind of Christ, but rebellion is planted, it is rooted in our thoughts first that penetrate every other area around us. Excuse me, rebellion finds its expression through, you can jot this down, it's that first blank, through human reasoning. Rebellion, it finds its expression through human reasoning. Now, I don't want to just skip over that. And just kind of, oh, that's a good kind of churching, rhyming phrase. It's, it's human reason. It, rebellion starts, it's planted when you and I begin to out-reason ourselves, To overthink it. To try to put on our God-thinking cap and begin to say, well, I, surely I could mastermind this. I could figure this out. That's the seeds of rebellion. If you take your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 9, we'll be there in just a minute. 
God has given you a brain, and, and I don't want to imply tonight that he doesn't want us to use it. He wants us to use our brain. Our thoughts can be a great thing, but we are to honor God with our thoughts. We are allowed to allow the things that we don't understand to call us to worship him, not to reject him or to reason him away. He wants us to align our thinking under his lordship. That's why Jesus commands us, love the Lord your God with all your mind. It's over here on the wall. It's important to us. When we love him with all of our mind, it is part of this protection of allowing him to root out this seed of rebellion. To love God with our mind, it simply means that we first have to admit that we don't know it all. Now, there's some broad categories that we've learned somewhere in middle school or junior high or, or maybe in, in high school years that the one who knows it all is not always easy to be friends with. Do you think of someone in your life who just knows it all? All, all the time, they always have an answer. Even if they are right or not, you can count on them for having an answer. They believe they know it all. That is a very hard person to be around. But yet sometimes it may not be like the, the prodigal son, the younger son, that it is an outward knowing it all. It's an inward older son. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do what I think is right. I was talking to someone the other day about the value of premarital counseling and how that it can be a great gift in the life of a marriage. And, and that has been true for Carrie and I. And I remember in, in our premarital counseling time and in the material that they took us through, there was a, um, an evaluation and kind of a test that would give you some, some insights on how you think and how you act. And, and we sat down with our evaluator and they said, well, we've got good news and bad news. I said, well, give me the good news. They said, the good news, by the way you guys answered this evaluation, you are in the lowest category of chance for divorce. I thought, well, that sounds great. We want this to be a lifelong thing. I said, well, what's the bad news? They said, also, by the way you answered your questions, you are off the charts to be unhappy the rest of your life. (laughs) Well, that's not very good. That kind of negated the first part. And our premarital counselor looked us in the face and said, you both are crazy strong-willed. My wife is strong-willed loud, meaning she is right and she will tell everybody, but I am strong-willed quiet. I don't have to tell you. I just know I'm right. You see, the Lord is talking to us about these seeds of I know I am right. You may not be the loud, well, I tell everybody, you may be that quiet older son who just spiritually stick their lip out, begin to pout begin to have an attitude that is resentment and rebellion. Oh, you may not walk into these dirty outward sins that we know that as good Nazarenes we should never do, but we allow our heart to harbor these thoughts. They are seeds for rebellion. And we want the victory. And it cannot be there. Now, the good news of that story I told about that premarital counseling, they talk to us about the value of you don't have to stay stuck just where you are at. And so they looked at me and looked at Carrie and they said, the goal for the two of you is to never try to set a goal not to argue or not to fight with words. They said, you need to learn how to argue and fight fair. You will have disagreement upon disagreement, but disagree in a way that you honor one another. 
And this was a tremendous gift for us. We use this on a weekly basis, the reminder that it is okay for us to have an opinion or thought, but when we submit to one another, when we we choose to honor one another, even when we disagree with one another, there is harmony and wholeness there. Now, if that is true in an earthly bond in marriage, how much more true should that be for the one who we worship and we adore, who is higher than we are? His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And there are many things that we can't comprehend. But we are called to honor and to respect and to follow Him, even when we don't get it. Human reasoning, I'm going to rationalize my way through, is the seeds of where rebellion can start. The Apostle Paul is trying to help us see God's sovereign choice because of what he knows and what we don't know. And it goes far beyond any human reasoning we have. I want to start by looking at verse 11. Before, but before they were born, before they had done any good or bad, she received a message from God. This message shows that God chooses people according to his own purpose. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. She was told, your older son will serve your younger. In the words of scriptures, I love Jacob, but rejected Esau. This discussion starts with this famous group of twins in the Bible. In Jewish culture, the older son would receive the blessing, not the younger. But that's not what took place here. That's not what God saw fit to take place. Paul goes on to talk about some things that didn't seem to make sense, that didn't seem to follow the natural order of things. Why would God act that way? It seems to be unreasonable to us. Verse 14 and 16. Are we saying then that God was unfair? That's not the way things work. The older son should have the honor, not the younger. Of course not. Verse 15. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. In other words, God is God. You and I are not. He will do what He sees fit, what is best. And sometimes our human reasoning, our attempt to grasp it all, will get in the way, and it actually ends up planting seeds of a rebellious spirit in us. Yet another maybe even appears to be an even more unreasonable example that Paul mentions in the next couple of verses. For the Scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you to spread my fame throughout the earth. So you see, God chooses to show mercy to some and chooses to harden the hearts of others so they refuse to listen. In other words, God allowed Pharaoh to have his heart hardened, and yet some he showed extra compassion on. Now, Pharaoh didn't lose his free will. We know that Pharaoh was not choosing to to listen to God, but the Scripture clearly tells us, we can't really wiggle around it, that God hardened his heart. Well, that doesn't seem fair. God, why would you do that? Why would you show extra compassion on some, and some you choose to harden their hearts? God shows mercy to some just because He wants to and He chooses to make some people refuse to listen. Romans 9.18 It leaves us with this obvious question. Why should God 
hold us accountable, the scripture is asking, for our sin if he has already decided who will be saved and who won't. Paul is wrestling with these things that don't seem to make sense. And, and this is not to be confused about some misunderstanding about us not having free will. This is not talking about not having free will. This is about saying, Lord, when you've given free will, it appears that you go to, to extra lengths to draw some in. And some people who reject you, you just harden their hearts and you leave them to their own devices. Why did you choose to do it here and not here? God, I want to weigh in on this. I I think I would have done it different. This doesn't seem very reasonable to me. Have you ever sensed that sometimes God's action may not square up with what you think is reasonable? If God only does what you think is right, I, I ask you, friend, who is God? You or the Lord? Because if we're really honest, even the heart that submits to the Lord, there's some times when we just say, God, I just don't understand what you appear to be doing, appearing to me, does not seem to make very much sense. Verse 19, well then you might say, why does God blame people not for responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them do? Now notice Paul's response. Who are you? a mere human being, to criticize God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who made it, why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have the right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw garbage into? The Creator is the one who has the ability to create. You see, well, that, that doesn't seem fair. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem to be politically correct. Paul is trying to establish that the Lord's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. What may seem reasonable to us in our limited view is not always what God sees as best. He's challenging us to move beyond our human reasoning and our relationship with God. To place humble worship before a God whose reasoning is far beyond our puny minds ability to comprehend he goes on to say in verse 22 god has every right to exercise his judgment and his power but he also has the right to be very patient with those who are the objects of his judgment and are fit only for destruction here's the point people who have trouble with the unreasonableness of god have never met god's authority in their heart Let me repeat that again. People who have trouble with the unreasonableness of God have not really come underneath the authority of God in their heart. They're saying, God, strong-willed, outward, don't like it. Strong-willed, inward, don't like it. Whatever your personality may be. God, I, 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 I don't know if I can sit with this. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. That heart is saying, it's revealing, it's tattling on itself. I am not coming underneath this blanket, this covering of trusting and obeying. Our culture hates this word of authority. We chafe under it. We recognize that there needs to be some level of authority or some system of authority or there'll just be chaos everywhere. But we downplay it all the time. We're suspicious of authority. We choose to come out from underneath authority. We quietly rebel against authority. And we talked two or three weeks ago about what we do when authority fails here on earth. 
But this is our heavenly authority who is without error. And yet at times, he doesn't seem to do what we would hope he would do. The only thing that will make sense in that person's mind who sees God as unreasonable is if he would do what fits within their perspective. Let me ask you tonight. Has God ever done something that in your perspective felt unreasonable? All of us have felt that way. And the choice we have is to allow that thought to hold and begin to reason and rationalize and begin to use it as something to rebel against God or choose to submit and lay it to the Lord. I can think of a number of times that what God allowed to take place or what God appeared to orchestrate didn't make much sense to me at all. I remember when uh, I was a teenager and I was struggling with chronic asthma and I remember the doctor's visit where they said you probably won't live beyond 40 years of age. That's an exciting thing to hear when you're in junior high. More devastating to me than that was they said you'll never ever play high school athletics. There was a rebellious spirit that came out in me at that point. But I remember on my knees as a teenager crying out to God, Would you take away this thorn in my flesh? I believe in divine healing. I had witnessed divine healing at an early age. But for whatever reason, the Lord had not removed that from me. And to this day, has not removed it entirely from me. It didn't make much sense to me. I didn't see much reason of why the Lord would allow it to be there. Oh, I heard people say, well, you're going to use this and you'll be able to minister to people through this. That's a very cruddy thing to think about. Use something else. I had thoughts where I felt God was unreasonable. I remember when my wife and I were married. It was right after our honeymoon. It was our very first night in our first apartment on Grand Avenue there in marriage housing at Olivet Nazarene University. We had set up the apartment. We had prepared for this. In many ways, we had uh, dreamed of our life together before we even knew each other. And that first night, I found myself laying in my bed alone as my wife was with her mother as her dad just passed away days before. And I thought, God, why would you allow this to happen now? How could I see this as reasonable? Oh, I heard all kinds of answers of of why, and, and some of them, you know, I guess scratched the itch a little bit. But if I'm really honest, there wasn't very good answers to the why question. It just doesn't seem to make sense. Some of them were big, earth-shattering things, and some were small. I remember very clearly the Lord teaching me a lesson in my first ministry assignment where I was very, very right in one of the declarations that I made to the church leaders. But as I declared the truth, I failed to submit. And the Lord said, you are in the wrong and called me to go back and humble myself to the ones who I knew were wrong. And this didn't seem right. I mean, sure, I wasn't without error, but I was the one who had the least amount of error. Lord, why don't you start with with the one who was really messing up? I was calling them out because of your word and, and It didn't seem reasonable to me what the Lord was asking. But I began to see when I am tempted to reason rather than obey, the hope comes when I see I need to forget who I am and remember who He is. 
That's the next slide. Jot that down. When I am tempted to reason rather than to obey, I need to forget who I am and remember who He is. See, as long as my mind was filled with my importance, with my accomplishments, with my plan, with my rights, with with my agenda, God's leadership seemed like it was treating me very harshly. But once I began to remind myself and focus on how good He had been to me, then I can begin to see how self-centered my thinking was. Here, in the time of my wife's loss of her father, why am I whining about being by myself in my apartment. How silly is that? When I even verbalize that, I just feel bleh inside. But there was a self-centeredness in that thought. And, and, and when we begin to allow the Lord to, to correct that in us, it's a blanket of covering and it's dealing practically with this rebellious spirit. If we're not careful, that can come back into us. When I'm tempted to try to reason away His command, God doesn't argue with me. He simply asks me, Brady... Who do you think you are? I passionately believe that the things that break our hearts breaks the heart of the Father. But yet He sees things that we don't see and there's times that I believe He even allows us to be in pain for our own good. We see this with our children. There's times as a parent our heart is broken because our child is sick and we so desperately want to give them what they're asking for but we know that to follow the doctor's response to continue to give them this medicine or continue to keep us in this state of being still with a broken arm or a broken leg, it's for their own good. I sat there with a family in Tulsa, Oklahoma when their son had broken his bone in his arm and they needed to set that bone. I stood there next to the mom, and, and I kind of got a queasy stomach, and I was thinking more about passing out than I was trying to be there for that mom, but it became, quick, became obvious very quickly that this was a very hard thing for the mother. As they took that boy's arm that was, was just resonating with pain all throughout his body, and they began to push on it and pull on it and set that bone, that kid screamed out, Mom! And as the child passed out in pain, I about passed out in in being grossed out by all this whole thing. And the mom had tears streaming down her face. But she knew the most loving thing she could do was to restrain and hold her child down as the doctor would work on that arm. Because if they didn't, there would be more pain later. The healing wouldn't take place. You see all kinds of analogies like that in your own life, but yet when we begin to look at how God, who is higher than our thoughts and and so far than what we can imagine, He allows things at times that seem maybe unjust, unfair, but if we allow Him to cover us with His authority, He protects us and He gives us a gift where it feels like possibly a punishment. Only when I remember who He is can I then get the next part where I forget my reasoning and remember his word. I've learned in times like this to pull up my Bible and start reading like Romans chapter 11. We see this lengthy discourse with a doxology of praise. Oh, what a wonderful God we have. How great are his riches and his wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his methods. 
For who can know what the Lord is thinking? Who knows enough to be His counselor? As I meditate on who He is and remember what He has said in His Word, the Holy Spirit can lift me, can lift you beyond this limited realm of reasoning into the realm of worship. The realm of awe. Remember, worship is more than just a song. It's more than just a block of 15 to 20 to 30 minutes in a gathering at church. Worship is when we ascribe worth to something. When we are in awe, ascribing worth to the God who is bigger than we are, who sees things that we don't see, even in our moment of frustration, it can be an act of worship. My lack of understanding no longer has to leave me feeling trapped or frustrated. Rather, it can usher me, it can usher you into a dimension of wonder, of the majesty of God. I learned that God doesn't want me to to analyze Him as much as He wants me to worship Him. God doesn't want me to understand as much as He wants me to obey. You see, if it was all about understanding this morning, we talked about this, that would be thinking that our major problem was our ignorance and And some of us are ignorant. I'm one of them. And that's another issue. We work on that. But our greatest problem is not our ignorance. Our greatest problem is sin and disobedience from the Lord. God doesn't want me to understand as much as He wants me to obey. And I pray that you and I can learn to love Him with all of our mind. Not only does rebellion find its expression through human reasoning, where we try to out out think God, it's in our rationalizing what we think should happen. It's also in just the basic human thinking in general. That's the next line. Human rationalizing, human thinking. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is one of the most important sections in the scripture when it comes to authority because it provides clear instructions on winning the battle for our mind. In fact, we've talked about some of these passages of Scripture the last month on Sunday mornings. We are human, but we do not wage war with human plans and methods. We use God's mighty weapons, not mere worldly weapons, to knock down the devil's strongholds. With these weapons, we break down every proud argument that keeps people from knowing God. With these weapons, we conquer the rebellious ideas and we teach them to obey Christ. Paul is is using this description of mental barriers that block out God's counsel and God's revelation. He uses an analogy from a familiar scene of his day where kind of like a city needs a security system protecting us from an attack from the enemy. This city's walls are restrained and the enemy troops are are trying to come in and the wall keeps them out the same way that your spyware software keeps the viruses out of your computer trying to keep them at bay. We are to look out for any foreign thought and to take it captive and seize it and to get rid of it. There are also these towers within the city where they were high enough for those inside to see over the wall. And and when a time would come to attack, these military men would would climb up to the towers and they would have the ability to see these troops coming at them and they would be able to make decisions on how to best protect the city. In verse 5, Paul instructs us to demolish the arguments, every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. 
the King James will translate this, every high thing. The walled fortress and the high towers of our mind are to be seen as intellectual strongholds of willful ignorance, prejudice, superstition, tradition, or plain idolatry. There are patterns of our thoughts that, that lead to rebellion. It's everyday thinking. It's not rationalizing and just trying to reason things away, but it's just the natural everyday thinking where the attack comes in. There are patterns of our thoughts that keep God's revelation from coming into our mind. There are mental recordings that play thoughts like, God could never love me after what I have done. Or Christianity, it's just a, it's just a crutch for weak people. Or I just can't measure up to that standard. The list goes on and on and on of tapes that play in our mind that are lies from Satan that he plants in us to deny God's existence, to distort his character, and to cause us to misinterpret his will. These, these humans' thoughts give rise to arguments that sound like this. Someday I'll obey Christ, but, but not right now. I'm not going to commit right now because I don't want to be like a, a hypocrite like those other people in church. Which that one always baffles me. I don't want to be a hypocrite, so I'll just be a blatant sinner. I think we're both in the same category. I don't want to surrender to God because He'll make me give up what I enjoy most in life. Or I'm not as talented or he, as He is or as she is. I, I can't do anything for the Lord. See, these... Arguments are reinforced in our mind by the enemy. It's planting seeds that ultimately will lead to rebellion. Oh, it's just a thought. It's, it's just me being insecure. It's just me feeling bad. The enemy wants to use it. We must aggressively, continuously attack them with God's divine weapons. And once he tears down this high tower with his word, it's our responsibility to take it captive, to make it obedient or subject to Christ. The next in your outline, when I am tempted by stinking thinking. Just average thoughts that lead in a bad direction. You and I need to take every thought captive. Take captive every thought and obey Christ with every thought. The practical way to deal with rebellion is recognizing He is God, I am not. Recognizing that my human tendency to try to reason or rationalize things away plants seeds of rebellion. And then my human everyday thinking, just that general thinking, can lead to problems if I don't take these average run-of-the-mill thoughts captive and obey Christ with every thought. Now, God doesn't just automatically give us the mind of Christ. We've got to actively be involved in this. When we have that message that's playing over and over in our mind, we need to replace it with one. When we hear that I'm just a loser, I don't measure up, I'm no good, I need to be reminded I am more than a conqueror in Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to fix my mind on what it is He says that He believes that He has instilled in me even if I don't see it. See, God can only renew the mind that is governed by a surrendered will. Only as you and I give our hearts and our will to Him can we trust Him to renew our mind. The hymn writer says it well when they write, My faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed. I trust the ever-living One whose wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that He died 
for me. I don't have to come up with my own argument. I don't have to plead my case. I don't have to try to figure all these things out. I can trust and obey. And that is the practical dealing with rebellion of our heart. And the covering of authority can be a gift to you and to me. I have met God's authority when I begin to think this way. I can be humbled and I can honor Him. It's my heart's desire, and I know it's many of your heart's desire, to obey everything that He says to us. But even in our weaker moments, we can struggle, and we know that He is in control, we know what He wants is best, and we can say, Lord, would you cover me with your authority? Would you teach me to continue to trust and obey, even when I feel there are seeds of kind of this rebellious thought springing up? Can I take it captive? Sometimes, it's not that we're mad at God, or resentful of God, or even angry at God, sometimes in our own humanness, with our own reasoning and our own thinking, we're just plain disappointed. Have you ever felt just disappointed? Let me share with you what God has taught me when I feel that way. From strong biblical evidence, I conclude that any hard and fast answer to the why question is quite simply out of reach. Though catastrophes like an airplane crash, a a plague, a a terrorist random killing, the deliberate poisoning of people through medicines, earthquakes, floods, famine, they cry out for some supreme authoritative interpretation. The Bible offers an important reminder. God Himself did not in Scripture attempt to explain everything to us. Perhaps God keeps us ignorant because we are incapable of comprehending the answer. Maybe it's God's majestic non-answer that is a clever, not a clever way of dodging the question, but really a recognition of a plain fact in my life. That a tiny creature on a tiny planet in a galaxy, as big as it is, simply could not fathom the grand design of what he is up to. You might as well try to describe the colors of the sky and of the earth and of the sea and of the fields to one who has never had sight. Or describe a great symphony to one who has never ever been able to hear. Or expound on the theory of relativity to a child who does not even understand what an atom is. God is a mystery. His ways are mysterious. And we need to be okay with that. In fact... It shouldn't shake our faith. It should strengthen our faith that He knows more than what we know. I don't know about you, but but I want a God that, that I can depend on even when it's beyond what I can understand. I don't want a God that I can manage, a God that I can micromanage, a God that I can understand everything He does because then we get confused on who is God. See, one thing that helps me that in the final analysis... We need to be reminded that the analysis is not final. And our final thinking and our final understanding of what we have, that analysis is not completely final. In the end, I've heard many people say, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to go to God and I'm going to ask Him these five questions. This, this, this. And I think I understand it. And there's been moments when I have said those words myself. But my best guess is when you and I stand there before Jesus, 
the last thing on our mind will be how we feel we have been cheated. Because we will be witnessing the glory and the reality of the one we sing about, we talk about, that we study about right before us in a very tangible way that melts all of our lack of understanding. Many of you have committed it to memory. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. The things that you think you understand and the things that you know you don't understand. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make our path straight. Heavenly Father, as we have taken time to study what it means to be underneath your divine authority. We've seen how any other option besides being under your direct and delegated authority is to be underneath satanic rebellion. Lord, you know our hearts. I believe it is a unanimous room that there's not anybody here who wants to be disobedient, who wants to thumb their nose at you. But Lord, whether we remember a time in our life when rebellion was present or we are thinking of those that we love who are dealing with rebellion, Lord, would you remind us that it starts in the battle of our mind? Would you call us to lay down our understanding or lack thereof and to simply Put on the covering of trusting and being obedient to you, the one who knows so much more than us. I thank you, Father, not just for giving us these truths, but your spirit to empower us to live them. As we go tonight, Lord, I pray that you will seal these in our mind and hearts in a way that you will bring them back to our memory when we need them the most. So because of that, I thank you in advance. For the victory that's going to come, maybe this week, maybe next month, maybe in years to come. As you resurrect this truth that we are trying to be obedient to and remind us that your authority is a blessing, not a curse. It's in your name, Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Friends, would you stand with me as you get ready to take off tonight? I want to encourage you, last week we looked for someone that we could pray for. If God's speaking to you about that, that's something you definitely want to do. But in whatever love language that works best for you, maybe it's a hug, maybe it's a listening ear, maybe it's a kind word, would you find someone that you could love on in Jesus' name and don't let them run out until you get to love on them? Even if they feel uncomfortable, I believe you may be a blessing to them. God bless you. Know that Jesus loved you. You're dismissed. If you'd like a copy of the letter of Jesus' love letter to you, I've got a copy or a few of them up here if you'd like to take those with you.